Hi, thank you for listening to this episode of the Following Films Podcast, a movie podcast that takes you on a weekly journey into the world of cinema and the minds of the talented individuals who shape it. I'm your host, Chris Maynard, and today we're joined by Ahsoka DP, Eric Steelberg. Ahsoka is a television miniseries created and written by Dave Filoni for Disney+. It's part of the Star Wars franchise and a spinoff from the series The Mandalorian, taking place in the same time frame as that series and its other interconnected spinoffs after the events of Return of the Jedi, while also serving as a continuation of the animated series Star Wars Rebels. The series follows Ahsoka Tano as she investigates an emerging threat to the galaxy following the fall of the Empire. But before we dive into our conversation with Eric, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Bookman's. Bookman's is your go-to independent bookstore, where you can find an extensive selection of books, movies, music, and more. They truly believe in the power of storytelling and in the magic of the cinematic arts. So if you're looking to expand your film collection, be sure to visit your nearest Bookman's. There's always something truly wonderful to discover. Have you followed the Following Films podcast on Spotify? If you have, well, thank you. If you haven't, head on over to Spotify, search for Following Films, and give us a follow. It really does help the show. Ahsoka is currently streaming on Disney+. Plus. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks. Yeah, no, and thank you for taking the time to do this today, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of um, course. So what would... This has to be, I, I'm assuming, because we're about the same age. I'm 47. Um, mm-hmm. Star Wars is something that's just a part of my DNA. It's literally my yeah. first memory is going to see Star Wars. I saw it at a double feature with the Muppet movie when I was like three years old or something. It's the earliest memory I have. Um, uh-huh. wh- what is it for you? When did, how, What does your history go back to with Star Wars? Uh, I'm a child of Star Wars, 77. Um, my mom likes to tell the story how I was seven weeks old, in, asleep in the back of a car while they watched it at a drive-in. Uh, you know, the week it came out. So that, you know, it's, uh, look, I, <laughs> I was there. I was there at the beginning. Uh, I can't remember it, but, you know, and then um, my, my father was very much into home video and laser discs yeah. and Betamax. When that came out, he was kind of a, a, a home audio video tech guy. And so he, he jumped into home video in a big way. And Star Wars was some of the early home, I'm talking like Betamax. Uh, and then laser discs of Star Wars, and I just I, I watched what was available, and that was what was available, and I watched a lot of it. It was like, I mean, it was like Disney movies, like the Disney live action movies from the '60s, Star Wars, Superman, and like that was kind of it. And that's what I just kind of kept, kept watching. And uh, Star Wars in particular, I was just. I was obsessed with because everything else was all based in the real world. And then there was star Wars, which took you to other worlds, but somehow still looked and felt just as real. Like my little kid brain just couldn't quite (laughs) grasp it, you know? And I was so enthralled by it. Um, Yeah, it was great. So it's just something that's always stayed with me. And it was star Wars, it fueled my interest in movies. It was a thing that got me interested in movies first. Um, it's the thing that kind of lit the fuse and, um, my love of movies grew from, from that and, um, eventually led to me falling in love with cinematography, which, you know, now I've got a career. So, (laughs) but it's there. It's always been, there. it's always been the background, uh, the seed of kind of everything I've ever done. 
uh, professionally and creatively. And so having the opportunity to, you know, work on something, Star Wars is like, you can't even, it's, uh, it's indescribable. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun and then incredibly stressful because like, wait a minute, this is so cool, but wait a minute, <laughs> Am I, gonna, I don't want to be the one to screw this. Up. I don't want this responsibility. You know, do I really want to do this? Um, can I just be there and just watch? Um, honestly, I think half the reason I do it is just so I could be on set watching <laughs> yeah, and just forget that I'm actually have a responsibility to, 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 you know, actually have a job on it, but actually just watching even on the days that I didn't have one of my episodes, um, actually filming and I was prepping, I would still go to set and watch, you know, the well, other crew shoot their episodes because I mean, why wouldn't you? That's you know, cool. I, I would go work craft. I, I wouldn't yeah. care. I would do anything yeah. on a, on a star Wars set. I, yeah, just have the chance to sit in and see it. Of course. Yeah. That, that, I totally get that. And I, it's funny how I, I honestly had never connected that to the home video aspect of it, which my dad yeah. was very similar to that. Where it was uh, before Laserdisc, there's these things called video discs where it was yeah. actually, it was on records and we had those and Star Wars was on those. And then it was Betamax and then Laserdisc. And it was, it was the must own format. It was, it was yeah. whenever there was a new format, how long would it be before I got Star Wars? And it always format? showcased everything, yeah. uh, all the films really well. And in fact, um, I'm, uh, my memory isn't what it used to be, but if I might, I seem to feel like the new hope Laserdisc was the first time I'd ever seen a movie in widescreen. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause they had the and, special widescreen box set of those that was put yeah, out. Yeah. And, and I was, feel, and that wasn't, that was later on, like in laser. So, so that would have been like later 80s, maybe like 86, 87. But I remember my mm -hmm. dad got that and I thought the TV was something was wrong with the TV and that was broken <laughs> because I was like, well, I did only see a little bit of the, like, he's like, no, that's actually the whole movie to fit it on. I was like, Oh, like if you go in the theater, that's actually what you saw in the theater. I'm like, how cool is that? Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just all kinds of, um, formative, you know, creative, um, importance in my, uh, in my professional, uh, creative life, but it, it's, uh, yeah, it was really special and, um, you know, getting, getting that call was, was pretty surreal. I'd actually worked on, um, one of the ways I got into it was I got a call a few years ago when they were shooting Mandalorian season two, mm -hmm. uh, it was a direct, uh, uh, I think it was the episode called the Jedi, which Robert Rodriguez directed. My friend, Dave Klein was shooting, uh, was a cinematographer on that episode. The, the and he said, clerks, Dave Klein, the, the clerks, Dave Klein. Yeah. Wow. So he was right working on. on, um, season two oh, as their right. second I forgot director he did of photography. That. Yeah. And they gave him an episode, uh, to shoot as the as the main dp and that was with robert rodriguez and he had a second unit to shoot and he says oh he's like i need your help he's like i'm in the show it's the mandalorian i was like i can't tell you anything about it where we're gonna be what it's for but we're uh gonna be outside on location for the first time on the show that the show's ever done and um i need somebody to come shoot my second unit will you do it are you around i'm like just Star Wars? He's like, yeah. I said, done. He's like, it's not going to be easy. It's like all action and it's all, what? It's fine. Done. It's like, it's not going to be really, I was like, dude, fine. Done. No problem. It's only one I'm aware. 
So, and I went and did that for three or four days with their second unit director. And I got to shoot, basically I got to shoot, um, you know, uh, uh, Boba Fett's uh, character's arrival <laughs> and fighting stormtroopers and this epic stormtrooper fight. And it was much fun because I remember as a kid, I used to, you know, make these movies with my friends on the weekends yeah. and, you know, sometimes we'd, we'd, pretend like we were Star Wars characters, maybe up in the hills. And this is in Simi Valley, very close to where I grew up, mm -hmm. where I used to actually go up in the hills, like with video cameras and, and screw around. And now I'm screwing around again with video cameras, nicer video cameras and uh, better Stormtrooper outfits, better <laughs> costumes and uh, doing the same kind of just, you know, jumping off of rocks and hiding behind rocks. Yeah. Literally what we would do as kids with video cameras uh, in stupid little action movies, but now we're doing it and it's, you know, part of Star Wars. So it's pretty funny. So, and then based off that experience and that went well. And, um, when, uh, they were getting ready to, um, put Ahsoka into production, Dave was busy with the new season of Mandalorian three, which he was one of the main DPs on. And so he wasn't going to be available for Ahsoka. And he very kindly recommended that the producers chat with me saying like oh and by the way like he also did that second unit that everybody was very happy with that action sequence and blah 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 and you guys should you know you guys should chat with them i think you might be interested and and, and they did and i went through a very the longest series of interviews i've ever had with various people and uh culminating with dave floney and and i i don't know <laughs> you, you bullshitted your way uh, yeah, in and then I, they believed I, yeah, you. I was like, uh, I was like, yeah, uh, I just kept saying like, you know, I'm a big fan. I don't know. What to, <laughs> it's in my blood, you know? And, um, but no, I mean, you, no. I did speak about, um, I mean, there was the conversations you have with the producers, which are different than the kind of creative conversations you have with the, the creator and director. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, it all came from the heart. And I think I'm hoping, I assume my, my enthusiasm was obvious. And, um, but in, in, in like a, in, a, in like a way that yeah, I could actually not just as a fan, but in a contributing way. Yeah. And, um, they're like, okay, great. You start, you know, in like a few weeks and you're going to be on the job for the next 14 months. And it's just like, oh my God. Wow. Still you know? cool. And, uh, um, yeah. Well, it's, and I think that's the, the magic trick of this particular series. It's exactly what you're just talking about where it's this element of reverence but taking the story further where it is something that's not simply fan service and here's the greatest hits of all the things that you wanted to see um spun out from rebels it's something that actually does live on its own and something that i think you can come into this with without all of the fan service nods that are here and still get a there's a really strong core story at the center of this um but then there's also those things for a kid that grew up on these star Wars movies. And I'm seeing that opening sequence with Ray Stevenson walking down and it's just so badass. It's so appropriate. And it just made me so happy and sad at the same time, seeing that moment of um, just the way that it's being shot and recreating these elements that I'd seen in other star Wars films. But did you need to see those to appreciate it? I don't think so. Cause the point is just establishing the threat through the way this is being shot and the way this is being presented and showing, and you know, there's a mirror with Ahsoka and showing these are the two sides that you'll be dealing with here. But if you have a, any prior engagement with this material, it really is just paying off dividends. 
I'm really glad you mentioned the hallway with Ray uh, because there's a fun little story about that yeah. um, for fans of the, uh, the new hope. So um, that hallway scene, I've, there's a part of something I've always been fascinated with and I don't know why, but in a new hope when uh, the hallway scene in the blockade runner, yeah. uh, you know, when Vader comes through and there's the blaster fight, I was always obsessed with like the smoke and in like every time a blaster hit the wall, there was like this beautiful billowing smoke that they would go up and like float along the ceiling. And you see these, some wide shots and there's like this smoke just kind of hovering and floating above the ceiling, like softening the lights. And I always thought that was like the coolest effect that you never really saw. So I see that we have a similar type of hallway and um, I say to Dave, I said, hey, there's something I really would like to try <laughs> that I've always kind of been obsessed with. And he goes, uh-huh. And I said, the smoke in the hallway from episode four. And he goes, okay. <laughs> and I go, no, no, no. You know how the blasts hit the wall and there's all this beautiful billowing smoke and then it's floating on the ceiling? He goes, yeah. And I said, I want to do that. He goes, okay. <laughs> it's crazy. So I said, can I talk to the effects guys? He goes, sure. So I went into this R&D process with the effects team, special effects team, about how we were going to do this and the fact that I wanted to do it practically. Because a lot of that stuff that we do in the show is actually digital uh, for safety and just for speed and all that. Um, But I said, I really want to do this real because I really want to try to get those billowing blaster things. I think that's that's a uh, something that's identifiable of that scene in the first movie that without those kind of very smoky, thick, uh, billowing um, effects, uh, it'll feel a little stale and it gives it a little bit of energy. There's some movement. It changes the light. It's really fun. And people are going through the smoke, whatever. And, and he's like, all right. So I talked to them and we actually were, we had this R&D period where we we're trying to figure out how to get smoke that would stay clumped together and go to the ceiling and float there. And then it turned out that some research that we couldn't do that because the way they did it back in England in the you know mid to late seventies was very toxic. They used uh, pyrotechnics that actually were noxious, toxic. Oh my god! To, in order to get those effects in enclosed areas, and we can't do that. Of course. So, uh, with all my heartbreak, I said, "Okay, well, like, what's the best way to try to figure out how they don't do that." And and I think we figured out a way to, that somehow references that. So when you watch that again, just know that there was a lot of effort and time put into making the smoke in that hallway look like the smoke in the hallway from episode four. There's there's a lot of interesting details that are here in the background. These small little things, the way that there's imperfections in the lighting that you'll have a wall that has multiple light sources on it and they're not all pointed in the exact same direction where it's a digital effect where it's mirrored the same things there's these differences in it and it gives it a natural feeling and i think i have a pretty decent eye for picking up stagecraft versus real stagecraft and seeing where Mm -hmm. that line is it got pretty blurry in this one for me where i was having some definite trouble picking up things Um, and when you're talking about smoke i was thinking about the when you have the ruins of this ancient temple and when mm-hmm. you go back to it and you have the smoke rolling through that and it's that line mm-hmm. for me is mm-hmm. it's almost gone at this point yeah in some of those moments 
what's really interesting is that a lot of comments I've seen on the first two episodes talking about blue screen, like set blue screen, sure. volume, virtual uh, sets. Most of them have been wrong. They are completely wrong with what they think is virtual versus blue screen versus like all set. So that's really interesting. And I don't want to say you don't have to give it away because I, I'm not going to give it away, but like it's very interesting. Uh, sometimes heartbreaking because they're like, that's the worst looking volume stuff I've ever seen. And you're like, that was actually shot outside in a parking lot against the blue screen. Um, but okay. Um, so, but like, honestly, it, but it doesn't matter. It's no. just kind of amusing to me to see how it's like, it's more about what people are responding to and how are they responding uh, to the shot and the, the comp of the, of the visual effects. Cause even the stuff on LED screens is still, um, ends up being uh, fine-tuned and finessed and post a little bit. It's, it's rarely untouched, but, you know, um, it's not like it, we shoot it, it's in camera and then it's never gets touched again. We still tweak it a little bit, but there's some, there's some, and I think like there's some really good um, overall, very successful uh, stuff in the volume. I think the blue screen stuff is very successful. Um, and it actually gets because we shoot, we shot most of the episode. Well, more or less, the whole show is shot in order. Oh, really? Um, like we start with, well, it, it's broken up in sections, but we you know we generally would start with episode one, and then episode one and kind of two would be shot at the same time and overlap mm. a little bit. And then you get into like the next block, and then two bleeds into three, and then three and two are being shot at the same time, and then, and then like two ends, and then three, four, and five are being shot at the same. Interesting. So, so we start doing, like, like they start overlapping more and more, but normally it's really scheduled around like, sets. That's so funny because normally you would use yeah. sets and then just close the set. So you'd say, okay, I'm <clears> we're <throat> using episode seven, one, and three today because we have this set for it, and then we can move on or something similar to that. And that can I be. I think because of the journey of our story, it was important that we have some sort of a. Uh, shooting in order was uh had some relevance and importance the next thing after that was set order um you know when the volume was available or certain sets were available on certain stages and then it was scheduled around that but always trying to do that within the episodes or within a couple episodes so you know the actors and and the directors are just like completely crisscrossing and and out of whack because you know in in a show with as much journey as, 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 as ours takes, uh, you know, you've got to like kind of keep everybody's head on straight. Makes sense. And, um, the, the idea of trying to pinpoint the differences, it's just, if that's what you're focused on, you're not watching the show and enjoying it. Yeah. And so that's yeah. the, that, that's something that I hope casual viewers aren't doing. That's something more of a, I'm watching this for the second time. The first time, whenever I watch something, I'm always going to try to give something a pass where it's just simply entertainment value. I'm not putting any level of criticism on it. I just want to sit back and let it do its thing and see how I respond to it. And then maybe try to start breaking it apart a little bit and think about how it's working and why it's working and what these things are. And even then there were certain moments here where I just, the, the speeder bike thing, the, Mm -hmm the eight-year-old in me, my heart was so happy to see that. And it was something that I didn't know that I needed because you describe it on paper and it's something that I wouldn't respond to normally. But the idea that there's this 
needle drop with the speeder bike in this background. It just, I was all in. It's just, no, this is, I just want to accept this exactly where it is instead of pushing back and try to see where the magic trick is. Yeah. And that was also an interesting thing. I mean, that, that, uh, scene was, um, one of the first conversations was Eric, we feel like we can improve speeder bike scenes. Um, we've been generally very happy with the speeder bike scenes that we've had in, in the other series. Um, we need, we would like to take it further and figure out how to do that. We'd like to make it look better, be more dynamic, be feel like we're more there, feel like less digital, all that. So like, how would you do it? And, you know, being the, the newbie to this and not having any pre conceived or knowing how they've ever done it. I'm like, Oh, it's great. Well, if I had it my way, I would put, you know, a, the speeder bike prop on the flatbed of a truck and drive it down the freeway and shoot it from another car, you know, and that's how I would do it. Obviously we can't do that, but like, that's what I think would look the best because there'd be shake. We'd yeah. be trying to keep up with it. The camera would be trying to keep pace. Um, because you're always like, I thought about when I shoot, um, uh, like at the commercials, like car commercials, and you're always trying to like keep pace and, and, mm-hmm. and you're always like speeding up and slowing down and, and, and you're in a formation and, and the camera has a little bit of bump and a little bit of jiggle to it and whatever. And that to me is always really sold movement and motion and not made it feel like it's somebody static with a fan in front of them blowing their hair. And it's just, and then you put it on a moving background and it just doesn't always blend super well. Sometimes yeah. it works great, but like for me, it was it was less about that, but more about like what are you doing with the camera? The camera's got to can be the convincing factor. So we just decided, or I said we should put it on the you know uh, the, on a base that that moves. Uh, I mean, it wasn't me; it was a conversation amongst a lot of people. Yeah. Our conversation was like, let's put it on. Let's see what we can do by putting on a, a moving base. And then um, like my contribution was, I'm going to put the camera on a crane and a uh, remote controlled head that you know the camera sits on but i want the i want to pretend that that crane is on another vehicle like another speeder bike or something next to it and i want to buffet the camera with air and wind or even have somebody shake it um and what we ended up doing is having a, a device that the camera operator would wear on their shoulder that had motion sensors in it that would then mimic they take their motion. So basically to put yeah. a handheld device on the shoulder and translate those handheld movements into the camera. Whereas normally like that is trying to keep the camera steady. Right. Instead of getting inputs from like very steady hands, you're getting an input from uh, basically a box sitting on somebody's shoulder. That's translating all those little movements on a shoulder to the camera. So <clears throat> when we're operating the camera, you're basically doing a handheld look on the camera as on this moving crane arm that's moving around the speeder bike. That's also getting buffeted by the wind and the speeder bike's also moving independently. So you have all these independent motions and everybody's trying to like, nobody's communicating, right? Everybody's just trying yeah. to follow what the other's doing. So there's always a little bit of a delay. So everybody's responding. Each person's responding to what the other one's doing. And you get these kind of uh, contradictory, but also similar movements that kind of come and go. And, and I think that was, um, how that ended up, you know, being created and, and, and looking like it did. And I think added a nice bit of energy to it, you know, um, I think it really feels, and then like a little bit of interactive light, um, 
and we shot and it was we shot that outside you know so um you got real real sun in an in a environment that's supposed to be real sun and moving light and moving camera real wind so i think uh that helped with you know kind of elevating that that speeder bike going down the freeway i loved that sequence it's a it uh, it was the it honestly felt like the opening of Akira in a way where it had that it just <laughs> yeah. when, the, when yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the bike drop and everything and it just it had that energy to it and it was and it just yeah. it was so cool to see that in a live action form and i thought it was beautiful it was, i think it really it was works. really fun yeah i think that came out really well I, I was really happy with with the the uh final result on that i mean everything but like that in particular worked really well it was fun to see and it's in the end though it's something that it does all service the narrative you have these things that are fun along the way but it is something that you're learning about each of these characters through these motions and it feels like that your job is ultimately a storyteller that you are really deeply involved in the narrative and moving this along through these and through these choices instead of having something that's for the sake of uh showing off a new toy or making something that's just cool for the sake of being cool. It does feel like this is something that is deeply rooted in its story. And I think it has to be. And I think that's what star Wars is. I think that's what the original movies were. There was no, I mean, look, they had a uh, very um, classically trained and, and old cinematographers shoot. Uh, well, at least the first one, not so much on empire, but like, you know, Gilbert Taylor was very old when they shot, um, you know, uh, episode four and you know famously he and lucas didn't really get along but for whatever the case like it came out like that's it, it worked really well like it didn't need to be flashy um and i've always taken that approach and everything i've chosen to do is that it's always about story for me and what can i do to help translate the story bring the story from the page to the screen because if if i'm not interested in in it's probably hurt me at times, but I'm not interested in, in doing like slick photography or, or flash photography for the sake of it. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, I, I don't need something that exists as a, as a shot. Like that's a great shot. Yeah. Like, yo, we, yes, we love great shots. Cinematographers love great shots. <laughs> we love people talking about our great shots, but for me, if it's not in the context of the story, if it only exists as a great shot, I don't care that I've actually, a lot of time I'll feel like I've done something wrong because I'm like, Oh, well then it, that's, I don't want the attention on the shot. If that great shot is great also because of what it's doing for that particular scene or that moment in time of the movie and, and like what it's contributing to the movie. Great. But if it's, if it's just for the sake of, of good photography, it's just, I just, I don't, I, I, I want it to blend in. I don't need the attention on me or the photography. It's gotta be seamless and it's gotta blend. And, and that's just the, the, the movies that I've always loved and responded to do that the best and then end up also being really great examples of cinematography, but not because the photography itself is so good, but because it represents the story and tells the story and helps like it creates the vibe of the movie so well yeah. that that's what, that's what the good cinematography is, but, but like broke. And then like and on the flip side, there's also some really like at its core, basic, basic, basic 
cinematography as far as photography and technique goes. But people go like, oh my God, this is the best cinematography ever. And you're like, great. I agree. It's very good cinematography, but it's it's not a technical issue. There's no the achievement is that the cinematography is perfect for the movie and the story. Yeah, exactly. But in itself, it's underexposed. It's fogged. It's even out of focus in some of these movies, like you'll see in the seventies, like there's movies that the seventies up one, you know, Oscars for best cinematography, like out of focus in certain shows, you know, you're like, but it's so good because it's supporting the movie and doing such a good job of telling the story. It's good cinematography. That's what good cinematography is to me. Um, which is why, like, when I always had the hardest time when I was getting my career started, they're like, oh, you got to do a montage reel of, like, the best, your best shots to sell yourself. And, like, a three-minute montage, like, I don't want to do a three-minute montage. Like, no. my shots mean nothing. Like, I'm not going to show people. Sh- like, it doesn't mean, like, I might think a shot's good because it's doing a great job for that point of a, in a project that I did. But at its own, it, like, it means nothing. Like, nobody's going to like it because they don't know what the context is. Like, I can't. It's like a, a book writer. Like, you give us a sample paragraph. Well, from where? Why? Like, that's what it, the equivalent is of me. And I, and I never was able to do that. I did it once. I hated it. And I never did it again. And what I always did is that I made reels that had scenes, mm-hmm. short scenes or excerpts of scenes. You know, back when we did reels, excerpts of scenes. So people could actually understand why I was making the decisions. They could see the photography in the context of the scene, at least which was the next best thing for me. And uh, so to your point is a very long-winded way of saying, yes, that's exactly <laughs> kind of what I'm going for is that it's got to, it's got to be all story-based for me. And I, you know, but it's, I mean, look, yes, it has to be accessible and there has to be an experience that you're giving mm-hmm. um, and cre- helping create something that's believable in this world. And like, you gotta believe that the spaceship is like, it's lit this way. And you know, the, there's a certain light from uh, a hologram being on or turning on and off or whatever. There's those things too. But it's still all in service of, you know, uh, the story. Always, always, always. Even on Star Wars. Well, and I think that your experience, and it makes perfect sense to me why you would take this approach to this material. You know, I look at something like Young Adult, and that's literally one of my top 10 movies, I think, Mm -hmm. of the last 30 years. I adore that movie, and I've seen it at least a dozen times, if not more. And it's just... It's one of those ones that, you know, you keep going back and finding more in it. And you think about just the control that's in it. And that final shot of that movie is beautiful, not because of the way that it's lit, not because of the way the camera moves, but because of the way that it perfectly encapsulates this film. And there's a just a darkness to it, but it's shot in a way that's so... I don't even remember the last shot of that movie. What is the last it's, shot of that movie? It's the, it's the kitchen scene in, in, in the movie. Today's episode of the Following Films Podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So the last time I went into Bookman's, I went straight over to the movie section as I often do, and I was so excited because one of my favorite things that happens when I go in there, I'm looking for a movie and I don't know exactly what I want to see, something I've been meaning to see, and there's a blind spot. And when I saw East of Eden, I was super excited because it's a movie I've been wanting to see for years. But for whatever reason, I've just never gotten around to it. So the film adaptation of John Steinbeck's East of Eden, it's a powerful cinematic achievement. I I know I'm not the first person to say this, but it absolutely does justice to the novels, what can only be described as profound themes and the complex characters. 
It's directed by uh, Kazan and features outstanding performances uh, from the whole cast, but mainly here by James Dean as uh, Cal Trask. The film captures the essence of the book while adding its own visual and emotional dimension. Uh, the cinematography, which looks absolutely incredible in 4K, captures the rugged beauty of the California landscape. So it sets the stage for this intense family drama that unfolds throughout the film. And the screenplay manages to condense this complex novel that is East of Eden without feeling truncated. It makes this really intricate plot, takes that and then just condenses it down and really only gets the essential elements of it. And all the themes are still intact with love, jealousy, and the struggle between good and evil. That's all there. And it doesn't feel like a lesser than. It feels like a compliment to. Um, if you've read East of Eden and haven't seen the film, definitely catch up on it. Highly recommend it. If you've only seen the film and haven't read the book, definitely check out the book as well. It's worth your time. Uh, but in the movie, James Dean's portrayal of the troubled cow, it's nothing short of iconic. Uh, it showcases his raw talent and charisma. The supporting cast is also incredible, especially Julie Harris, I think does an equally compelling job here um, with just an outstanding performance. And there's a depth and authenticity to these characters that wasn't very common for this time. So it's something pretty remarkable here. Uh, East of Eden, it's absolutely a classic that continues to resonate uh, to this day, still holds up. Um, I think that's mainly because of its exploration of human nature and the complexity of family dynamics. It's a timeless masterpiece that deserves a place in the annals of cinematic history. And I think it's there. It just took me a long time to catch up with it. Uh, this is a must watch for anyone who appreciates powerful storytelling and exceptional performances. So remember, next time you go to Bookman's, they have your cool covered. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. kitchen scene in the movie where you see Charlize Theron has had absolutely no character arc and it's just every oh, 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 oh right yeah 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 okay yes and so it's basically it's nothing was learned here nothing was this hour and a half that you just spent with these characters it's just a lot of people got hurt and everybody is worse off for it and she learned nothing is really what yeah. that comes down to but then you take like this shot with Patton Oswald and her in the bar and it's just really beautifully well lit shot but it's actually playing in opposition to that because it's actually a very unnerving shot. And there's these, it, the, when it's in the context of it. And so you're kind of playing with that balance of what you're, what the scene means and how you're presenting it and doing that. And it's just, a, to me, that's my favorite kind of cinematography. So to see that level of work in something like star Wars just makes sense. Um, or, I mean, your work with Reitman all along, like something like the ghostbusters film. I adore that movie. I can't tell you, um, it, it, I'm biased though. I, I have a seven-year-old who's on the spectrum and that movie hit me in a way that I was not anticipating that day when we mm -hmm. went to the theater and mm -hmm. I just felt him being seen through that movie and it was just really beautiful. Oh, that's so nice. So, Good. I mean, like, but that's, that, that's, 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 I mean, that's the goal is like, it's your, you gotta bring, you gotta bring life and relatability and accessibility into these stories to really connect. And I think that was a really smart uh, choice in, in Ghostbusters to to do that. And then actually have her be the hero too, right? It's like, uh, you know, that was, um, 
that was really cool. And, um, and, you know, she has, obviously she's in the, the, the next one we just finished shooting. Um, but yeah. And, you know, a lot of that, a lot of what you're talking about also comes like, it's not all the cinematography, it's not all me. It's cinematography also happens, uh, with the director in conjunction with the director and, and the decisions that we make and how, uh, how we're doing this in our process. It's just kind of left up to me to execute it. Um, so, I mean, for the ideas, like as much as I'd love to take all the credit, uh, I can't take all the credit because it is a, it is a collaboration, but you know, for instance, like with Jason, like we've just, we've worked so long together and we're so much of the same mind that, um, I think we just generally know, have, have the same thought about how a certain thing should be told or how it should go. And we do sometimes uh, creatively uh, clash on on those things, but it's all during the process of working towards the final goal of like whatever the best solution is. And then, and then every, and then all the directors that I've worked with, you know, have their own versions of that. And sometimes they put focus on that in that thing in, in different ways, you know, and in, in Ahsoka, like you know, the first episode is Dave Filoni, but the other episodes I did were all different directors. Yeah. So it was interesting to see, you know, and, and it, and it's up to me and the other DP to, to, to continue the, that kind of vision with the other directors, particularly in times when they might, their instincts want to push us into a different uh, direction. Sure. And in terms of photography and the presentation of everything and also, and then, and then, and then have us be open-minded to listen and, and, and absorb what they're saying, but then try to reformulate it if need be into something that is more along the lines of what, right. Cause we're, we're, we're tasked with like the directors all change. The actors stay the same, and then the visuals. Got, there's got to be a, a visual through line, right? So it can't just every episode completely go off on a different path. But you know, you do want it. Like everybody has a different. Ta- all the directors have different takes, and, and it's got to, you know, we've got to respect that and explore it, and um, but also you know stay within the same frame. So we were tasked with you know keeping everything kind of in line, and it's an interesting process trying to to, to do that, which I haven't had a lot of experience with because I just haven't done a lot of. Um, uh, series, series. Yeah. I've actually only done one other, actually two, but one other, um, so that was a Marvel show and, and, you know, and it's it, but, but one on the Marvel show, actually, I challenged there was, I had one director for my episodes, but then I had another DP I was working with. And on that show, it was more like making sure the DP and I were constantly in sync, trying to make sure it was a very cohesive visual, uh, look. So, it, you know, it can be challenging. Um, but I think, you know, if you if you stick to kind of like what the goal is, um, for me, there's you know there's multiple different ways to get there, you know. Well, of course, it's a uh, it's the there's a rule book that's set up essentially. These are the parameters you need to work within, but there should still be some sense of self expression through that. You don't want somebody showing up and saying, "Okay, we're going to suddenly do episode four an Academy ratio in black and white. With, you know, it's just, by the way, super cool. <laughs> Not star Wars, but 
like that would be uh that would be an interesting pitch to <laughs> guys hear me out i, I got an Just idea like star wars was uh like we all saw star wars for the first time on home video and you know academy and square format on vhs you know well it still works no um yeah but no, 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 no. like um it. yeah it is but like um but to that end like star wars for instance has always been uh widescreen Star Wars has always been widescreen and it's always been anamorphic. Yep. And that's just a visual. That's a, that's a tool that has never changed. Actually, I take that back on the prequels. uh, Lucas ended up bailing on anamorphic, um, but kept widescreen, but the kind of lens he used was not anamorphic. Yeah. He used spherical lenses on when he shot uh, the original, went digital on those movies. Um, But uh, it's okay. We, we forgive that, but, but <laughs> Star Wars always been like widescreen anamorphic. Yeah. And, um, and that's something that we've continued and that's, I think really fun. And I think that's like a, that's a, um, like a telltale visual cue of like, uh, you know, what makes Star Wars look like Star Wars, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been super fun. I, I don't know what to say. I, I, you know, I hope it's. It looks like it's being well received. Um, Wasn't my house. I, yeah, good. Yeah, good. Well, you know, because you never know. I mean, all I can say is that myself and everybody that I ex- came across and worked with on it, everybody loves Star Wars and the IP, all yeah. of it in different ways, and um, people really put a lot into it. I mean, it's uh, like my story is everybody on the crew's got a story similar. Of course. And everybody remembers the day they were called to work on it. Everybody, you know, works the long hours and the extra hours and puts in 110% because we love it so much. And, and, and Dave Filoni is so charming and affable and really inspiring. Everybody wants to give their all to him and what he's created it's not just he's not just running the show. It's also like his creation, right? Yeah. He created the character. Like this is his show, his world. This is his baby, um, and so you just the desire to please him has been so so great, and um, and I think he's happy with it, and and I, you know, it's I, I love the way it's come out, you know. It's uh, really it was really fun to watch these first two episodes. Like, and I have two kids too. I watched it with them, and it's, they gave me a thumbs up. So, well, it's not many times that I'm preparing for this that my 13 year old will walk into the room and actually sit down <laughs> next to me and watch what I'm watching with me. That he it's just <laughs> yeah. like a, he walks by. He's like, "Oh, what are you watching tonight?" And it's usually some whatever indie film from Germany that he has no interest in. And th- for this one, it's like, Oh, I'm watching Ahsoka and he just sits down. He's like, okay, let's yeah, I'm, I'm into that. So let's check this out. Yeah, It's a good story. It's like all the star Wars are, I mean, you know, people can debate whether or not they think it's good star Wars or, you know, good period, but I mean, it's entertaining and it's, it, it always sucks people in. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about earlier about how people will go and stare and try to figure out, you know, what's real versus a digital background versus sure. a blue screen, whatever. And I, you know what, I kind of get amused by these arguments, not because like, I don't know why people spend so much time and energy doing it, but 
they're spending time with it. Like they care yeah, enough true. to look at it and dissect it. Even if they, if, even if it's for the you know, purpose of, you know, hating it, like, okay, whatever. You're still watching it, you know, you know, hate it as much as you want. If you're going to keep watching it, like, it's like, you yeah. know, tell me how bad a job I did. That's fine. But, but like spent, uh, we're, people are spending time with it and that's what I love. And, and, you know, I think, I think one of the purposes, one of the greatest things about movie and cinema is the conversations that they create. Yeah. Is that it, it can be just the, the, a very personal experience that people just keep to themselves and enjoy or, or forget about, but also the experience of watching something together and having a similar experience, a similar experience, but a separate impression, a unique impression of it. And then of debating it and arguing it and, you know, extolling it or, or criticizing it, you know, in really passionate ways. It's all fine, you know? Yeah as long as you just know that, you know, filmmakers, they never want to do anything. Nobody sets out to make a bad movie. Like we all work very long and hard hours and everyone wants to do a good job. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. It's fine. But like, I think this is something that works really well and is really entertaining. And, and, and I love all the conversations about it. I think it's really fun. Well, yeah. you actually unlocked something I hadn't thought about in a long time that the examination of the technical aspects was always a part of star wars for me mm -hmm. learning about motion control cameras that they invented mm -hmm. for the first star wars movie and how they got that undershot and the that just iconic opening that is forever etched into all of our brains at this point and you know you couldn't give me enough documentaries about the technical aspects of the making of those films it's just something that i will be endlessly interesting to me um because it was yeah. just it, these kids in a shed putting these things together. Now it's gotten to a point where it's beyond my understanding where it's just, and I think a lot of people, they reduce it to that where it's just this, Oh, it was done in a computer. It's not, there's no real artistry there and they don't understand. Yeah. yeah. They don't get it. Cause they, not only did they, they accomplish it, they had to invent it. And I think that's something that's lost on a lot of people that go like, Oh, that looks like, you know, I've written that for, for our project for Ahsoka, but I've read, you know, certain things about some of the other Star Wars series, be like, oh, that scene looks like something that was done for, on, like, for a fan film. It's like, okay, sure. You could say that, but people forget about like what it takes to actually create it in the first place. It's not just the execution. You got to create the idea. You got to create the idea, figure out the approach, the, how to do it. Right. And then, and then hope that the execution is good. Yeah. So these guys had to like, to your point, they had to start a visual effects company that create tools and cameras and equipment that they didn't, that should work based on their ideas, but like, you never really know. And then by the time, you know, it's like, that's it. That's all you got. So if it didn't look good, there was no going back. Yep. So you had, had to, had to work, had to look good. I can't imagine being like my age now in a cinema in 77 watching that first shot from new hope on a yeah. screen because other than like 2001 <laughs> there was never anything remotely complex or as believable as that stuff was yeah. even now i watch it and i'm just knowing how they did it i'm in awe like it's not digital like in people that watch the original movies that might be underwhelmed by it they don't understand what an accomplishment it was it's incredible. Go, go ahead and try to do that with your friends and, you know, uh, uh, get actual film stock and try to recreate that and make that happen. It, yeah, it, get film stock or, you know, 
you can cheat. Use your, your iPhone, camera, sure. Go to your garage, use your iPhone, build some models, show them what you can do. And see, you'll realize like how hard it, now Now go back 47, eight years uh, into a, you know, unair conditioned, you know, warehouse in the valley with, and nobody even knows what a computer is. You know, it's like, uh, it's crazy. And, and, and I honestly, I think that um, I felt that sense of uh, constant invention and creativity and pushing the envelope of what's possible still exists yeah. amongst the people that, um, you know, do Star Wars. You know, we, you know, ILM was our, our, our lead visual effects company on this and, and working with their uh, visual effects supervisors and people involved. Like there's just, and even with the, the volume now, they're all, they're just constantly pushing and pushing and pushing at the forefront of visual effects. And, but all from a storytelling point of view, and it's so exciting to see and like witness firsthand. And I'm just sitting there with my eyes just open. Just, I can't believe I'm here um, because they're always trying to make things more interesting and better. Um, and, suck people in that much uh in that much more of an in a way and um it it's 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 powerful and i think that's just from that same spirit that they've probably always i'm assuming they've always had but you know i the the demand is the men <laughs> the demand for uh quality and success is is really high of course you know the, the our bar that's been set isn't they don't, people don't treat, I mean, say people within at least the production of the show. I felt my impression was that um, people aren't trying to, uh, you know, the, the, the goalpost isn't the other Star Wars series. It's not Mandalorian. It's not Boba Fett. It's not Obi-Wan. It's the movies, yeah. you yeah. know, and that's where TV has gone. And that's because it's Star Wars. People, have an expectation of movie quality and you're like guys we have a fraction of the budget of of a star wars movie and they only have in the time and they've have they're only doing it for two hours and we're doing it for you know what seven eight whatever we're doing um on a fraction of the budget and the same amount of shooting time like we what we're asked to accomplish is extraordinary um Absolutely. Yeah. And, but well, by the way, but we're holding ourselves to those same standards. Like we're not making excuses for it, but like, that's the gig. That's what we're, we have to do. And you have to understand the audience as a general rule of thumb will never, and they shouldn't um, see that. Okay. difference. They, they, they shouldn't, nope. they, they should never say, if it says star Wars on it, there's a standard that's been set unless it's something that's, it's either star Wars animated. Maybe that'll be a slightly yeah. different world or it's, a, and well, and you're kind of bridging those worlds now, but that's a, you yeah. know, it's, or it's the live action films and that's the standard, but it's just, we're on this unusual precipice right now where I think of, you know, the history of when, Steadicam started out and you know you look at something like Rocky and you look at the and that that was actually technically a pretty remarkable film what was going on mm-hmm. in that and then just a few short years later you look at like The Shining and you see what they're doing with Steadicam work in that film and how quickly it evolved and how incredible it got then you look at drone photography when that started and while mm-hmm. say what you will about the film but you watch something like Ambulance Michael Bay's last film and the drone work mm-hmm. in that is incredible it's insane there's, yeah it, 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 it I, yeah there's the I what we were talking about servicing narrative and that before I can kind of throw that out the window and just watch the spectacle with that one and just be floored sure. by the images. But if that's, but that, if that's what it is, but that's, yeah. that's what you're selling. 
Yeah, exactly. That, that move, you don't go <laughs> to see ambulance because you're like, I can't wait to see this story. You're yeah. like, I can't wait to see what Michael Bay does with the cameras <laughs> and explosions and cars. What he blows up and crashes. That's, That's what it. you go for. Yeah. Nobody goes for that. Like, so, but that's entertaining in its own thing. But like, I don't do that. Like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. That's like, I don't, I just, I need, I need, a, I need something from the script to yeah. give me direction. You know, I can't do shots for shots sakes. I just don't know how to do it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that because films should be entertaining all kinds. They just should. And um, for all different kinds of people, you know, comedies, yeah, all of it. Um, uh, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I, 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 uh, I blame Game of Thrones for, for starting the bar so high though with stream. <laughs> like suddenly you watching these things, like the most epic shows you've like more than most movies. And you're like, Oh man, this is what people want. And then they throw you these, they hand you over these star Wars scripts and you, and you read them and you're just like, wow. You know, like I thought when I did the pilot to billions, that was a that was a challenging TV show, <laughs> and like now, you're like uh, Star Wars as a as a series. You're like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? Um, but you figured out, you know, and it helps that everybody working on it is a fan. So we generally think we know. Again, speaking for myself, what is appealing? Where you got to focus on? Like, what's important? Um, and that's and do it the best way you can. You never know what that's going to be. For me, one of the things I always react to is the out-of-touch technology. When you have costumes that look they're, they're straight out of the 70s and the Sucrets tablets mm-hmm. that are on people's shirts, like those are the little things that I'm so glad that they've kept that intact. That it's these tactile little things that are there that just they didn't get rid of that and all the other spectacle. They keep those parts. Well, yeah, I think there are there are things that are meaningful um, to the story and to people. And just because there's more image fidelity, that might make things that you could pass off in the 70s sci-fi environment. Yeah. I It doesn't mean that it doesn't work now. If anything, I think you appreciate those things more now because you're actually more noticeable. Yeah. And you go, what? And you're like, oh, that's well, that's cool that they kept it. It's just like, it's a little nod, you know? And I think it's important to have those little nods. Like nobody's asking, people love it because of what it is. You can't change what it is, whether it's Star Wars or any kind of thing like this, you know, Superman, whatever it is, you know, Batman, you know, Batman, people go get crazy about when they change the suit, you know, too much or the car in, in a way that isn't right. If you start getting too far away from, the IP, the original IP that people were exposed to and that fell in love with it, 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 I understand people get frustrated or upset, you know, like I get that. I get that. You know, I love the original versions of the trilogy, you know, yeah, same here. and he went and then he said he, he added the digital effects in the re-release that he'd always wanted to do that. He never had could afford to, it doesn't, but it's not what I fell in love with. Sure. You know, and you know, some people like it and, and it's not that I don't like it. It's just, that's not, that's not what it was for me, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but in much the same way that my kids 
who are teenagers love the prequels. And that's what those that's are their Star Wars. Wars for them. Like those are the best Star Wars for yeah. them. And they're like, oh yeah, the, the four, five, six, they're, yeah, they're good. They're okay. I'm like, they're great. I'm like, yeah, they're okay. But they're not wrong though. Younger, they're not wrong. Younger people and, and the way they respond to those stories and those characters is um it's interesting that sometimes I don't fully grasp or understand, but but it's it's interesting to see, you know, what's important to them. Um, consequently, they they very much like the Ahsoka. So please. that's good. It's it's always it, you know <laughs> that's it, a good vote of confidence. Kids can be very Those humbling, the kids, and yeah. so it's it's always nice when they appreciate what you do because they'll definitely oh, they'll put you me. they'll, they'll put you in your place. They will tell me. They will tell me. They'll like because. I'm just, I'm just dad. They that are yeah. honest. That that's not so. Why are you doing that? You shouldn't. Why'd you do that movie? You didn't need to do that. Oh, okay. Um, but now they, they got a, I got a thumb, thumbs up from them so far. So I, I have to. I, I we're. I know we've gone over time here, but I've had this sure. little, little running thing in my mind. Um, are you familiar with the movie It Follows? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Okay. It follows as a, it's a horror film. And the general mm-hmm. conceit of it is that you pass along this a curse or whatever you want to call it. This entity is going to start following you and you, you can pass it on to a next person by having sex with somebody and then they'll kill that mm-hmm. person. Then they can have go oh, and so on and so forth. In my mind, I've created this narrative that up in the air is a <laughs> sequel <laughs> I have no idea where this is going, but I love it. Okay. Yeah, good. Continue. To It Follows. And that's the real reason uh-huh. that George Clooney is this way, flying all around the world, trying to keep this thing at bay that's chasing him from his past. I don't know that it 100% holds this, up. This is a good mashup. I'll, I'll pitch this to, to Jason and see what he thinks. Might be a he's, uh, he's a he's, uh, It's good. No, it's good. Uh, <laughs> interesting take. I like that. That That's worth. That's probably worth the article and discussion. Probably not. I can just leave it alone. But that that'd, that'd be a fun uh, deep dive podcast, uh, like awesome. a film podcast, where well, you should try to do like film mashups. See how I, worlds connect. I've always I have this thing in the back of my mind where there's a film podcast I want to start. Um, just looking back at the old films of canons of the old canon films and mm-hmm. how would you improve them? Because there's I think every canon film had a good idea that was executed poorly. And I'm just wondering what would be the good version of one of those films? You know, what would be yeah. a good version of Cyborg or Cobra or any of these films that came out? So I feel like there's always a good kernel in there, but that's just my own. Yeah, point. I mean, they're, they're fun for discussion. But for me, honestly, like the failures and shortcomings of some of those things are what make them make good. them so endearing and good. Like you, you don't want them to be perfect because the enjoyment of these movies is not that they are perfect. It's they were entertaining and they made you feel a certain way or the entertaining part of it is that it's not good and it's flawed. Like that's what you appreciate, you know? Um, and I think that's really charming. Could not agree with you more. Uh, I am an unabashed fan of maximum overdrive and the movie's inexcusable. I get that, but I do. Oh my God. I just showed my sons that, um, Maybe a month ago, You're kidding my, my one son, my youngest son is really into genre and kind of okay. horror and uh, loves Stephen King, loves reading Stephen King. And I said, you know what? There's a Stephen King movie you should watch. It's called Maximum Overdrive. Drive. It's really cheesy, though. I think you'll like it. And we still like 10 minutes in. He's like, Dad, what is this? This is like, 
this is beyond. And I'm sitting there laughing and having a great old time. And because of like, just remembering how fun it was for me when I first saw it. Oh yeah. It's like, what is this crap? I was like, no, it's fun. Just keep watching it. And then I left the room and like 10 minutes later, I heard him like giggling and laughing. I was like, good. He's like, it's stupid, but he's like, (laughs) he's like, it's, it's funny. I was like, yeah, that's the way it's, that's what's supposed to be. It's entertaining. Did you make it to see that uh, Giancarlo Esposito was in that movie? I don't know if I remember. I mean, I've seen the movie, but maybe I didn't recognize him. So yeah. um, Gus from Breaking Bad and uh, Better Call Saul yeah, is yeah. The, the, the guy that gets electrocuted by the pinball machine. That's but him. He's the, he's the pinball machine guy? In the he's beginning? the pinball machine guy in it. It's a like 25-year-old or version of him. Or is it pinball or the arcade machine? What arcade other, machine, what you're right. It wasn't arcade, pinball. Yeah, it's like yeah, a like video the, game. Yeah. With the lame flashing lights behind it. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah, that's him. Oh, how funny. I didn't realize that was him. Yeah, it, it's 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 one of those. It's kind of, yeah, there I... I always love going back to movies at this point in time. They're movies that are 40 years old and finding those little nuggets of things that are in there that you had no idea. And he became a star of Breaking Bad and uh, Star Wars. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. It all came full circle. You never know where these things begin. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today, Eric. I really Yeah, Chris, it was good that. talking to you. It was really fun. Good to fun. meet you, man. All right, I hope take we get care. to do it again sometime. I hope so okay. too, man. Yeah, please. Take care. <laughs> okay, truly. All right, bye. Bye-bye. to figure you out Time enough to write this down Wish me luck, give me hope
boys crack.